Hey, welcome to the Church Home Podcast. My name is David, and I get the privilege of serving as CEO here at Church Home, and I'm so glad that you joined us here today. In just a moment, you're going to hear an encouraging message from Chelsea around the person of Jesus and his love for you. But if we can serve you as a community in any way, we would love to do so. And the best way for that to happen is to actually chat with a pastor, which you can do on our pastor chat tool on our website at churchhome.org or on the Church Home app. And hey, if you've been listening to these messages and this podcast and have been impacted in your walk and journey with Jesus, we want to invite you to join those who so generously contribute to tell the story of Jesus through Church Home across the globe. And you could do so by texting the word generosity to the number 97,000. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy this message. I'm really excited for this talk as we gather together to really talk about, so how do we give money to God? And here's here's the thing um, that I'm just going to be honest about. You know how some series on TV, you can dive into like the third episode and you can just get right in and it makes a lot of sense. You don't have to go back and watch the first episodes. Anybody into Breakpoint on Netflix right now? The Tennis Where Anybody? <laughs> no, yeah? Okay. Have, wh- how many episodes in are you? done so good right I'm a tennis fan too so it it makes it makes it really fun but I love it because to me that is a show that you can watch the third episode and you don't have to build upon the rest but for so many other series now it's like if you don't watch the first episode you are so lost to what is happening throughout so I'm just giving you a fair warning to anybody who is listening If you didn't watch the first episode of our talk about how to give money to God, go back and watch that because that's really going to give the context for the things that we're saying today. And this is really just going to build on that because we did end that talk with this question of how do you give money to God? And to me, that feels like an impossible ask, right? Have you been asked to do anything impossible or that you felt was impossible or felt like you couldn't do this, you couldn't overcome it? For me, my impossible task in life was piano lessons. Any musicians? (laughs) Do you actually play piano and like you're good at it? Okay, so you, I do not understand. I sat in my piano lessons for years and I still to this day could not read music. My brain just can't translate how to how do you take dots and make them into ABC? And why don't they just say ABC and put the things out there? I don't know. My piano teacher, who was also my youth pastor, eventually fired me from piano lessons, even though she was getting paid to give me piano lessons. That's how bad they are. But the one song I actually passed in all of my piano lessons was the one that she said, now, I know all of the songs are hard for you, but this one is going to be really hard. Nobody ever passes it in a week. And there's something in me that I was like, what? Nobody passes this in a week, an impossible task. I'm going to do it. So I actually practiced that week and I still couldn't read notes. The A's, I I literally wrote out the music notes in a way that made sense to me so that I could complete the impossible task of passing my piano song. But to me, Jesus gives us an impossible task in Matthew chapter six, where he says this verse that, you know, maybe we say it so cliche and so we don't actually stop and think about how impossible this is. But Jesus literally said, hey, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and that thieves will break it and steal. But instead, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust rust will get to it and nobody can steal it. It's like, hey, Jesus, great advice. I thank you for the beautiful poetic language, but tell me, 
how exactly do we lay up treasures in heaven? Have you ever wondered that? Like, how do we get money to God? How do we give to God? Like, do you need a giant rocket ship? Do you need a fuel launcher? Do you need a, I don't see God. I love him. He's in my life. But how do I give money to somebody who I don't see? And how do I invest money into heaven, a place that I have never been before? And that's where we're picking up this week from our talk about tithing last week, because we talked about <clears throat> tithing is this. Tithing is the faithful, faith-filled act of worship, of paying the first 10% of our income to God, really as a response of His love and His goodness and how good He has been to us. And if that's shocking to you and you're watching this and you're thinking, wow, we're really starting at 10%, I'm just going to beg you one more time, go back and watch the last episode, because we did talk through a lot of the foundational things. But I will give you the bottom line just in case you have forgotten since the last time you watched this. Here's the bottom line, what we believe about tithing. As followers of Jesus, which means we live according to the new covenant or the New Testament way of doing things, tithing is not required of us. Jesus said it in Matthew 23, 23. He said, should you tithe? Yes, but don't neglect the more weighty matters of the law, such as love and justice and mercy. And that is why normally when you get Judah and his handsome face and all of his funny jokes, he's normally talking about something along the lines of love or justice or mercy. But Jesus did talk a lot about money. And so our bottom line is we want to talk about the things that Jesus talked about, but we want to do it in a right way. So at Church Home, tithing isn't required. It will never get you to love God, get God to love you any more than He already does. His love for you is so full and complete. And because you're hidden in Jesus, He is so pleased with you. He couldn't love you anymore. We can never do anything to get Him to love us more. But there is something supernatural that happens to our money when we obey and follow this practice of tithing, which is giving the first 10%. And it literally transforms it from a, from a natural state, which is cursed, which we saw in Genesis chapter three, to a supernatural state. And so our my plan for you and the reason we're doing these talks isn't because church home needs more money and it's not because we're trying to get money from you. It's because we want to see this supernatural activity happening in your life and taking place. And so it really is a, a not a, hey, let Chelsea talk you in anything. It's a, giving you some some keys so that you can have a conversation with God and have a conversation with your spouse around this thought about tithing. So that's what we talked about all last time. This time, we're really going to answer that impossible question, how do we give money to God? And so because we're talking about God, I feel like it's appropriate to go to God's Bible, to go to His book, and really see what does it say about giving money to God. And throughout the Bible, throughout the narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the process of giving money to God is called offerings. It's called giving an offering. And as we mentioned last week in the Bible, the uh, principle of first mention is really important. So have you ever heard the story, if you've grown up in Sunday school, ever heard the story of Cain and Abel? And Cain, you've heard the story, Cain gave an offering that God didn't like. Abel gave an offering that God did like. Cain was so jealous. He literally went out and murdered his brother over this act of God not liking his offering. That's a pretty big deal. But have you ever wondered, what was it about Cain's offering that God didn't like? Because we'll read through it together. It's in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 2. And it says, then again, she, being Eve, bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. And Cain was a worker of the ground. So we have an orchardist and a shepherd. It says, in the course of time, 
Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And really for here is a man who tended trees and apples and pears and whatever wonderful fruits they had there in the Middle East back at that time. He gave God the offering, the fruits that fell to the ground. So it's basically, in other words, it's saying he gave God the leftovers. He didn't give the best. But it says Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions, which back in those days, can you imagine? They didn't have sugar or all these things that we get to have, get our food to taste so good, but they had fat. And let's be honest, fat makes food taste good. Anybody on keto? I uh, literally am trying to do that right now and it's not working so well, but we're trying. So Abel gave God, not only did he give the firstborn, but he also gave the fat. He gave the first and the best to God. And here's where we see, and we're answering our question, what, how do we actually give money to God? The first thing that we have to know is to God, He only accepts first and best. He only accepts first and best. And you could read this story and think, man, God, you knew what was going to happen. You knew that Cain was going to end up killing Abel. Could you just have been a little bit nicer about it? Maybe not make the rejection quite so brutal? What is it in God? What is it in his nature that first and best matters to God? Well, if we fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11 in the great hall of faith, right? We can see this take place and we can see it talks about them. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And it's this little phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith. See, here's the difference between giving God first and best and giving God leftovers, Anybody ever, okay, don't raise your hands in here, but be honest with yourself. Has anybody ever been a re-gifter? Okay, I've seen the nods. Thank you. I have to be honest. I don't, I don't like clutter. My, I have zero memorabilia from my kids' childhood. They think I am a horrible mom because I have not kept anything special. For, I'm like, your first outfit at home? I don't know. It got stained and I threw it away. Like, I just don't keep things. And so I get gifts and I think they're beautiful, but unless there is a place for it and I exactly know where it goes, I don't really want to keep it. So then there's this temptation. Oh, do I re-gift? And I got to be honest, I've done it once. I felt so bad about re-gifting that I just... I just like had to go get the person another gift. I couldn't do it. And I think it's a great practice. I'm not wrong. I'm not mad at it. But for me, I just feel like, wait, somebody gave me something that I didn't want. So I'm going to give it again, unless it's, you know, hobby or something that you know people are about. Because the purpose of gifts is heart and motive and matter. And right, that's what really makes our gifts significant. And so for God, it says that Abel's sacrifice, Abel's offering, what the money he was giving to God was acceptable to God because he did it by faith. And that's what Hebrews 11.4 says. Hebrews 11.6 goes on to say, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because for those of us who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of us as we diligently seek him. And the thing about God is he's not a mean tyrant up in heaven. I feel like this Genesis story could make it look like the God we serve is just angry and wants everything to be right. And, oh, you need to give me my offering right. It's not acceptable to me. And it can just paint this picture of a mean, precise, stingy God. But there is something about God he wanted to reveal to us in this story and then reiterate through Hebrews. God wants faith. God is pleased when we trust him and when we believe that he's good and we, when we believe that he's 
a rewarder. And there's something about those gifts, and that's why it's the first fruits important. That's why it's first and best. Because it's one thing if we pay all our bills, go through all the things, and say, okay, God, I've got some money left over. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. It's been a good month. I worked it all worked it all out on my own effort, paid the bills happen, made, got the things I needed, and I have some leftovers. God, thanks. I'm going to give you a nod. Thanks for that. As opposed to when we give God our, the first, that whole posture is so different saying, God, I haven't done anything for myself yet. I haven't even fed my children yet. I haven't even paid my bills yet. But God, what I am doing with the first part of the money that I receive is actually giving it to you. I think that's crazy. I really like feeding my kids and I really like turning the heat on on our home or the air conditioning on our home. What in a human being would honestly lead us to that place of being so illogical that we would give our money to something else before we're feeding our children first? Only one answer to me, and that's faith. That is God, I believe that you are a rewarder. And I just want you to know from this check that I'm writing, nobody writes checks anymore, from this, from this whatever that I'm sending God, that I trust you. And here's what's so profound to me about it. It doesn't just end up communicating trust about money. It communicates trust about our whole life. Saying, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my babies. I trust you with all of the things that are happening in the world that I don't know and I don't understand. God, I believe that you are, and I believe that you are a rewarder. This might be kind of um, morbid sounding, but I've always wanted at my funeral the song Great Is Thy Faithfulness to be sung. To be sung. You know that old hymn? Um, I will not try to sing that because I will never <laughs> be singing anywhere publicly. Uh, but great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. But I have to be honest, I have a new contender. Like in this last week, I have a new... Does anybody else keep a list of their funeral songs, by the way? Like, nope, just me. Okay, everybody else free gifts, but I keep a list of funeral songs. What does that say about me? Oh, but I have a new contender. It's so good. It's, I mean, I love the C.C. Winans version of it, of the goodness of God. And all my life, you've been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. And now I'm not remembering the lyrics. But I'm realizing it middle age, I feel like the most valuable asset that I can have is actually a belief in the goodness and faithfulness of God. It's probably my favorite thing about getting older is I can look back and realize, oh God, I did not see how this was going to work out, but you were faithful. I did not know what answer to give here, but you gave me an answer. Or oh, that time you spoke to me and it didn't make any sense, but I stepped out and obeyed and man, God, you really there and you showed up. And I have those to look back on. And that means I have some of those to look forward to. I love that about being the age we are. That do, we, do we really believe God? God is faithful. God is good. God is a rewarder. When we do things the way that God asks us to do them, he's not doing them to punish us, but he loves us and he wants to reward us. It is that heart. It's that place. It is that disposition that enables us to say, okay, God, you can have the first and you can have the best. And I don't mean to be so black and white about it, but I'm going to be black and white about it because it's the first mention of offering in the Bible. God only accepts the first and he only accepts the best. Is there other ways of giving? Yeah, those are beautiful. Giving to charity is great, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're giving to God. It just means that you're giving and there's still benefits to that and that's still wonderful. But as we see from Genesis chapter four and like I'm trying to say it with a nice smile, like how nicely can I say, oh, sweetie, you think you're giving to God, but you're not giving the first and the best. No, that's just giving to others. Huh? 
that's really what I'm saying, but I'm trying to you know, <laughs> say it with a smile on my face because it's a little bit of a hard truth to accept. But it is the truth of God, and that's how God revealed himself to us, and that's how we get to take him, not how we want him to be, but we take God at how he revealed himself to us. So I find that fascinating. Giving to God means giving first and giving best to him. Here's a second thing about giving to God. It's giving with no strings attached. And you're going to see why in a second, because this is crazy to me. So the first time offering, which is giving to God, is mentioned in verses Cain and Abel. The second time offering is mentioned in the Bible is by Noah. You guys remember Noah? He built the ark, saved humanity and the animals, and the two-by-two, and the nice sing-along that we did in Sunday school, and that was Noah. And it says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, that when Noah came down and the floodwaters receded, that Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he gave an offering, but listen to what kind of offering he gave. He gave what's called a burnt offering, which means that it took, he took one of every clean animal. So imagine these animals that Noah had like kept alive for all these days and months while they were on the ark. Like he fed them and cleaned their stalls and he kept them alive. He took one of each of the clean animals, which God had, had delineated what the clean animals were. And he gave them to God, not just as an offering, but as a burnt offering, which means he put them all on the altar, set them on fire, burned them to ashes. This a, I mean, we finally have a puppy now, and I have some, like, some, some love for animals. I understand it was a different day, and pets were more for food and not animals, but still, I really like my puppy. I don't, I don't want to burn him up. And here's the power of, the, of a burnt offering, because it's repeated in Leviticus, and it became a Hebrew tradition of giving a burnt offering. It was this, some offerings they would give, and the priests would get some, and the people would get some of the fat, and people would get some of the nice cuts of meats, and it was seen as this, this feast and this celebration. But a burnt offering was, no, we're going to come, and in order to give it to God, we're going to completely burn it to ashes to the ground. Can you imagine for a second if our offerings at church were, hey, so much, thank you for your giving. It's so great to give to God. Okay, here's our burn bucket right now. Um, we don't accept gold or things that don't burn. So really, we only take cash. And um, let's, let's give an offering to God and, and burn it in the bucket till it turns to ash. And that's literally what a burnt offering was. Why is that important? I think two things. First, I think the beauty of the smoke going up to God is just really beautiful and the aroma and smell and just the imagery. If you're a poetic person, Judah could probably say it better. I don't tend to be super poetic. I'm a little more black and white. But the fact that, God, my giving to you is that I'm not giving expecting anything in return. I'm not giving to an organization because I want to help a cause. I'm not giving because somebody is going to reap a reward because of my giving. Simply, God, I'm giving to you. And whatever you want to do with it, however you want to handle it, that's up to you. Now, practically, how does that work? We'll talk about it maybe in a second. But the heart position is that, God, I'm willing to give you something even that you're going to burn to the ground. It's giving with no strings attached. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, but I'll tell you a prerequisite before the story I tell you. Um, at Church Home, we are very good with our finances. We have checks and balances. We get an external audit that comes in every year, and they have access to every single piece of paper, every single receipt, and we've gotten a clean audit for as long as I've been around, and there's financial accounting checks and balances. And so we really do do our best. I'm not using this as an excuse. But there's another church that we're in relationship with, and about nine or ten years ago, 
Um, they had their CFO run away with millions and millions of dollars of cash. They, the church sold an asset and the CFO had planned it out and figured out how to do it and run away with millions of dollars of cash. And I mean, that just, first of all, makes me so mad. I'm like, hey, that's God's money you're stealing. Like I would hate to track that person's life because that's a scary thing. But then think, what about all the people who sacrificially gave that, that millions of dollars represented? You know what I believe to God? He's saying, ah, oh, that money was precious to me the moment it was given. It wasn't given just to spend on things. It was given as an offering to me. And even though it was not used with, <clears throat> with wisdom or stewardship or ethics, um, it was still an offering to God that was beautiful and pleasing to God. And not that as church home we will ever use that as an excuse to not be wise with our funds. But can I just ask you, when we give, what's your... What's your motivation? Are you giving because of something that you get out of it or that somebody will get out of it? Or is it purely a, hey, God, I get to give to you with no strings attached. Okay, so here it is. Obviously, giving offerings to God is giving our first and giving our best and giving without strings attached. What does that remind you of? To me, there's only one person who actually does that, and that is Jesus. Think about John 3.16. We read it last week, but John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? He gave his firstborn son. He gave his only son. God gave us the first and the best when he gave us Jesus. God doesn't give to us like Abel gave. God does not give to us leftovers. God gives us the very best and he gave us Jesus. And what I oh, love about having Jesus is we still have him. He's in our life. He is with us every moment so we can talk and communicate with him. God has given us his very best. But do you know how else God gives? Same way God wants to receive. God gives without strings attached. Do you know that Jesus does not come to you with strings attached? Jesus doesn't come to us and think, well, you know, if you do these things, then you can get these things from me. No, Jesus just says, come and look at his life and his ministry. He healed people who didn't thank him. That is giving without strings attached. Jesus um, resurrected people who we don't even know. They didn't even come back and thank him. Jesus gives without strings attached. And so when we see in the old covenant, these stories of, from Genesis of Noah and Cain and Abel, why are they there? What does it matter? They're there and it matters because that is a picture how God has given Jesus to us. And if you and I are a follower of Jesus, ultimately, what is, our, what is our desire? What is my goal every day? Is Jesus, I wanna look more and more like you. That's right, it's a simple desire of wanting to follow Jesus and look more and more like him every day. And so when you and I participate in giving offerings to God that is giving of our first and giving of our best and giving without strings attached, that is when we reflect the image of Jesus and then we can participate in this beautiful giving that we see in the new covenant. So those are the first two references that we see about how do we give to God in the Old Testament. Now we're gonna move on to the New Testament and say, okay, like I know you're thinking, okay, Charles, practically, what does that really look like? Since we aren't burning animals and since we aren't giving firstborn fat and the expensive parts of the meats, what actually are we doing right now? Like I'm really on a practical level, how do we give to God? It's just, it's two things. It's, it's giving to the poor and the apostles. And we can see that throughout the New Testament scriptures. And first, you know, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, have you heard this story when Jesus said, Hey, what you thought you were going to do to the least of these, 
you didn't do because you didn't do it for me. But Jesus said, what you had given to the least of these, what did Jesus say? You have done it unto me. Like how incredible is it practically now as followers of Jesus, we've received so much from him and we get to say, hey, you know what? I get to give to God by giving to the least of these with no strings attached, giving my first and my best, that that is a practice that I can function and operate in as part of my life. That's pretty powerful. In fact, in Acts chapter Acts chapter 10, there's a man named Cornelius. You ever hear about him in the Bible? He was a Gentile and uh, he didn't know Jesus yet, but God came to him and he said in Acts chapter 10, verse four, he says, your prayers and your alms, which is giving to the poor. He says, those two things have ascended as a memorial before God. And the picture of that is actually like the smoke of a burnt offering. Like those things, they were so powerful. They meant so much to God that giving to the poor ascended as a memorial before God, that we get to give to God by giving to people other than ourselves. Isn't that incredible? Like we live in such a world where, I don't know about you, but do you ever flip through social media or watch the news or see what's happening in the world and just feel completely overwhelmed and dejected or think, I, what, am I, what am I gonna do? Stats of, uh, we just heard that in the last, because of the COVID pandemic, poverty and hunger stats have gone back 20 years from the progress that the world had made in the last 20 years. And so now millions of more children are fighting poverty and hunger every single day. And we, you know, for those of us who live in America, like I, I'll be honest, I fed my kids every day of, of, of their life and I can't imagine what it would be like to not be able to provide for my children and how gut-wrenching that is. Yet there's millions and millions of moms in our world who literally don't know how to feed their children and what you have to do. And we, we because we live in such a connected world, we live with these realities every day. And how do we, how do we handle it? How do we sleep at night? How do we express compassion? I feel like so many of us and so many people in our world just are just checking out and saying, I'm just going to pretend to care. I'm going to shut my compassion down because I can't fix all the problems. And so where am I going to start? But I love it that God gives us this incredible pattern of, hey, you want to give something to me? Give something, something to the people who are poor. And it's not just poor across the world. It's poor in our neighborhoods, our world, our church at home groups that we get to give to God by giving to other people. I think that's pretty incredible that that has how God set it up. And if I'm being really honest, I think that's one of the way that church has got it right in history. And that's one of the way that church has got it wrong in history because we have manipulated um, some stats to try to get money and then it doesn't all go to where we say it's going to go. And I'm just going to throw that out there because I don't think that's right. I don't think that's an appropriate practice. And again, it's still offering to God, so it's still going to be great. But just so you know, that is not okay. The second way in New Covenant that we give to God <clears throat> is through giving to the apostles. And I'm going to start by reading a verse in Hebrews. And in Hebrews, it says this, Hebrews chapter 7, I'm reading it from the message because it's a little bit clearer. Says this, look at it this way. And he's talking to a Jewish audience who would have been very familiar with paying tithe. He said, we pay our tithes to priests who die, but Abraham paid tithes to a priest who the scripture says lives. And that's Melchizedek, who we talked about earlier. He says, ultimately, you could even say that since Levi descended from Abraham, who paid the tithes to Melchizedek, there's a lot of names here. I'm just trying to get to the last sentence, but I'm like such a context person. I couldn't just read the last sentence. <laughs> he says this, when we pay tithes to the priestly tribe of Levi, Levi, 
we end up paying tithes till Melchizedek. And as we talked about earlier, Melchizedek is Christ. And so in other words, it's saying, hey, when we give, and we don't have priests anymore, so we have apostles, and we can see in Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 4 that the people brought the money to the apostles' feet, and that that for us, that is a way of giving money to God and giving money back to God. And here's the, the, the bottom line in the New Testament is that the majority of giving in the New Testament was giving to the church so that the church could distribute resources in a way that would give to the poor and give to the needy and build the community. And um, I knew this is where I was going to end up because any Bible scholar would tell you that's where a conversation on tithing <laughs> would go. But I was so uh, just really wrestled with God about this to say, hey, how could I stand up? And for two talks, God, if tithe is not the most important thing, if Jesus said, you should tithe, yeah, but don't neglect the most important things. If, if giving of our money and our tithe isn't the most important thing, God, how could, how, could we, how could I spend two talks? How could we spend two Sundays out of 52? We don't get very many of them. How could I spend that talk? two weeks, ultimately knowing that would say, so the way that you give your tithe, the way that you disperse of the first 10% of your income is, is to give primarily through the local church, but to give to the pastors and to give to the apostles and, and to give to the poor and to pool our resources together so that we can do something together that we could never do on our own. And that's what I wrestled with over, do you like how I broke it up into two, into two parts, you know? <laughs> um, but here's the thing, I don't want to rob you of the incredible gift and blessing of freedom. I I promise you, freedom of financial fear. And maybe you've been around a church, you know, the way my parents were in the story I told last week, of tithing was a religious duty. And yes, we can do that, but it's not the act of giving our money that is significant to God. Can I just say it again? It's the act of faith. It's the act of faith. It's the act of God, I trust you. God, I believe you're a warder. God, I, I believe that with this 90%, you're going to do more than, than, you, than I could on my own with 100%. And God, I, I don't understand it. And this is where I struggle with. I do not understand how the miracle of the tithe works. It's no formula. It's not the same person to person. You could pull every person around this room who's ever tithed, and some people would say, oh, my finances changed around immediately. And some people would say, oh, mine got a whole lot worse. And when Jude and I first took over the church, we'd been to a church of tithers, and this was in 2009 and 10, and people were like, hey, my house is getting foreclosed on, and I've been a tither, so what's up with that? And we're like, I don't know. We just love Jesus. So hence all of Judah's great messages. Um, I can't tell you how it works but I know that it does. And here's what, what I love about God is he just wants us to trust him. And God is really good at showing himself to be true to you. I don't want to persuade anybody, but I do want to give you the opportunity to have the conversation with God, to say, God, what does your relationship with my finances look like? This lady just talked to me for two weeks about giving money to God and how to give money to God. But God, I don't even know how I could do that. It's not in my budget. It's not in all of the things that are so real. All I want to do for you is to encourage you to have that conversation with God. And so often around church home, we all say, Judah, say this, you know, the definition of faith, one of them in really the original language is divine persuasion. We don't have to work up our own persuasion to trust God. We don't have to work up our own faith to have faith in God, but that God actually does that for us. So here's just a simple prayer that I'm going to close this two-part series out in is, hey, God, just persuade me. 
you persuade me about your plan for my finances. So do you mind just join me in prayer for that prayer? God, I thank you that you do have a plan for our money. And God, we know who you are. We know that you are the star breather, the creator of the galaxies, but you're also our savior. You are the one who took our place. And Jesus, all of this is because of you that we can even do this. So Lord, I ask for all of my brothers and sisters and friends that you would persuade them. You would speak to them about your plan for their finances. Not for Church Home, not for Jude and Chelsea, not for Zion, Elliot and Grace, but for every person, every family, every business. God, you persuade those individuals. And Lord, even now, we thank you that you're good and you're real and you are really good at showing up on your own behalf. Thank you so much, Jesus. And lastly, if everybody's head still bowed, just wanna give you an opportunity if Maybe you've been around church, but you haven't really known Jesus for yourself. Maybe you've never seen him. Maybe you haven't known him, or you just haven't said yes to receiving his forgiveness. You know, it takes a simple act of faith. Like we said earlier, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But God loves our faith, and he loves you, and he knows every detail about your life. So not that you understand anything, but if in this moment you'd say, yeah, I want to say yes to Jesus, wherever we at, will you just raise your hands, or if you want to type in the comments, just say, I'm saying yes to Jesus. And we really believe that such a beautiful, forgiveness-free life is in store for you. We love you so much, church.